You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. New chapter this morning in the battle against Ebola. Nickelback are back. The multi-platinum band has just announced a new album and a North American summer. Until you see the flaming butthole, you ain't seen nothing yet. Something good for ya. Welcome to this week's episode of the Something Good For You podcast, where the two of us sift through the bullshit to try to find a little something good to give you each and every single week. We're getting back at it. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Alex Stiff, and sitting beside me as always is the one and only Captain Nunn. What's up, everybody? This is the two of us again this week after a fun week of having Paul on for both Couch Potatoes and Something Good For You. Yep. If you didn't hear that episode, please check it out. Paul's just an honorary member of the uh, the network now at this point. Yeah, really, because he'll he'll be brought up again. Um, we wind up talking about some of these topics later, but yeah, no, uh, he has been absolutely amazing. It's such a fun guest to have, and not only that, but a great drummer too. Watch out, DJ. Dude, yeah, really. <laughs> no, Sunday boxing was fucking terrific the other night. Oh yeah, no, I've. I think that's the first time I've gotten to see them live. Me too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely check out last week's episode and the Couch Potatoes episode with him on it. And uh, yeah, and we've just been staying busy. And on that Couch Potatoes episode, I barely got to fucking be part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those that don't, uh, well, we've kind of alluded to it here and there uh, or have been hinting at it, but uh, we've had some apartment issues. Good God. All right. So, so we'll reverse it all the way back. So we won't even get into that first. You and I have just been busy as fuck <laughs> running around doing our own shit. Oh, yeah, but this is what we've asked for. It is what we asked for, but now it's just like, it feels like we actually have jobs. <laughs> That's kind of why we did this. It's one of those things where you do what you like and make it your job. Yeah, yeah, and it's to the point now where it's like both of us aren't as home as much doing job shit. It's like you're running out doing a lot of uh, extra uh, guitar gigs with who have you been playing with primarily recently, See, Mr. Session, sh- professional musician man. This singer-songwriter named uh, Reed Ferguson, he does a lot of uh, he, he does a lot of original music, but he uh, whenever we play cover sets, it's always like Drive-By Truckers, Jason Isbell, uh, Tyler Shoulders, you know, the good country music that, uh, you know, folks of quality taste like to hear <laughs> and things like that. But we'll fuck around and do some like uh, John Anderson, uh, Seminole Wind kind of shit. That kind of thing, and mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's a lot of fun to play around with. And uh, I grew up li- and uh, went to college listening to all that kind of music too. And yeah. uh, that's some great and killer guitar playing on all those records too. So that's kind of that's been a blast to play with. We don't play like uh, the clubs or anything like that yet. He gets uh, like brewery gigs and uh, some restaurant gigs here and there. And uh, he's kind of uh, wanting to branch out and do uh, some club gigs and maybe put a band together and uh, you know take the next step. Well, that'd be pretty cool, though, at least. It, it, it seems like he's doing it smart, though. He's not just jumping in headfirst. No. <laughs> no, he's he does a... He's one of those guys. He was one of those old school guys that doesn't that hates social media and all that stuff too. So he's still kind of leaning into that. I know it. It just makes me have to roll my eyes. I was like, listeners, did, <laughs> listeners, did you hear his expression? <laughs> it's like God, and I'm not going down that rabbit hole. We got way too much today. <laughs> yeah, I've gone down that rabbit hole enough. But that's the thing. Like artists, musicians, get into the social media game. That's what you're supposed to do in this day and age. But even then, here, here I go. <laughs> but even then, it winds up sucking you fucking in, man. And it's like, they basically make you have to pay to really be seen. See, MySpace had no gatekeepers. No, no, they didn't. <laughs> because there was no ads. But then, but MySpace was also weird because there was really no way to really promote yourself on MySpace. 
I mean, you had your blogs and your forums, but people didn't really visit that that much, it felt like. Really? Because I was never really a big MySpace guy. But I remember uh, hearing uh, bands talk about how back in the day, MySpace kind of helped them out, especially hardcore bands and shit like that. I mean, it definitely helped them out because it immediately gave them a website. That's true. Um, you couldn't really... It was harder to buy a website and get that going back in the day. Okay. So for a touring band to all of a sudden say you have something that works like a website and... I mean, think about it today. If you heard an ad on a podcast, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks from our sponsors. Hey, bands out there, would you like a platform that you can upload all your music to? Your fans can listen to it for free. We'll give you a custom URL at the end of our URL. They can engage with you, comment, send you messages, everything. And now keep this in mind. We've never heard of Facebook. We've never heard of Twitter. Yeah, I know. I'm taking my, everything. All of a I'm sudden, I'm traveling right now. Yeah, all of a sudden, in the early days of the internet, that was a band's dream. Oh my god, all this connection we can get with our audience and promote directly to them. Oh yeah, MySpace was huge for bands back then, but it was a different kind of promotion. Yeah, it was a once they got out there, getting the name together, and also people just searching Google for the band name. It wasn't like people don't search bands anymore. No. They have to come across their screen. No one goes, I wonder what Alice Cooper's doing lately. Let me go to his website. No nope. one does that. Not at all. You have to see it come across your page or you don't go check. But I remember, we, we talked about this on the internet early days. I remember back when I would go like once a week, I had like a list of websites I'd go to. It would be like The Misfits, Social Distortion, Kiss. I'd go to like all my band websites just to see if they posted a new blog. Oh, I would do the same thing. Oh, yeah. So it's like, you know, you would Google search a band just to see if a new interview was out. Yep. So, yeah, if you would Google search, you know, you know, uh, MySpace band 26, you know, to, uh, 2006. Yeah, they would show up because that's how MySpace worked. They were in good with Google Analytics with their archiving and shit. So if you search for something specifically, it'd come up with MySpace links. And there's no Spotify or anything like that either. There was, there was the downfall of Rhapsody and people were looking for a new way to listen to music online. Here's and, MySpace. And every band had their own little... Uh, man, that's... A, I think about it now. It's like, that's how it should be, but it's not. You have to go to like everybody's Spotify pages and shit like that. But that's kind of like, you know, a similar deal. It's just in your phone and uh, on a different platform. And see, and that's what's also funny too, is people always talk about, oh, you know, it went from, you know, uh, the old way to the new way. Uh, no. It's not even, that much e different. E even heading into the new way, there were changes. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like even the the beginning of the digital age to the current digital age was very different. So it's the market is always evolving. I think the business is always changing, even with like two years ago. Yeah. And we talk about uh, how uh, we want to find out about how our favorite bands and shit like that are doing, about how like today it just has to come across your screen, but it's mostly like bad shit. Yeah. It's always drama mm -hmm. or something like that, especially with all these older bands that yeah. can't get their shit together. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I, I have a feeling with one of them you're talking about specifically. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about uh, the Kiss uh, David Lee Roth story that came out a few days ago about how yeah. uh, David Lee Roth got kicked off the Kiss tour because, well, for reasons, I guess, but uh, they got the painter back on board. And then Gene Simmons makes a fucking comment about how uh, David Lee Roth was past his prime or whatever. And uh, it's about, like seeing fat Elvis. Or, at least that's how the article was read. 
<laughs> yeah, because so yeah, that came out like you said a few days ago, and a lot of articles were saying Kiss says I know it. David Lee Roth has passed his prime. Well. I don't think Paul took kindly to that. No. and Because that's why all of a sudden, like a day later, he shared, well, I'd like to just say about David Lee Roth that I've always admired him. He's always been Diamond Dave to me. Yada, yada, yada. When I first saw him, it was like a new sheriff's in town. And- <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally giving him all these props and accolades. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. You're going, Gene doesn't speak for all of us. Correct your articles. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, uh, his David Lee Ross uh, Instagram page was just loaded with a picture of, like, a baby with sunglasses giving the burn. It just says, fuck Gene Simmons on it. <laughs> or uh, Roth to Gene or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. no. <laughs> Careful, David Lee Roth. Don't be using kids in photos right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, no, so it, it, it was absolutely asinine. And... It was asinine because for Gene to go, a singer has passed his prime. Yeah. Now, Gene himself may be able to make that claim because his voice is still pretty fine. He can still perform. He may be a little bit on the chunky side. He may be sagging a little bit, but his voice is still there. He could do studio work all day long. Motherfucker's 72 years old. What are you going to do? Yeah. He's not not there, but his voice is. I love Paul, but <laughs> there's a reason he sings tracks now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Paul didn't make the comment. Gene did, and Paul's just kind of like, uh, before anybody that gets re- starts yeah. calling out our hypocrisy, yeah, I know. let I'm, me cover our asses. <laughs> I, know. I wonder if that was also like partly on his mind, being like, wait, <laughs> pause, hold up a minute. <laughs> no. our, our, our glass is not bulletproof right now, Gene. No. To be fair to Gene, I mean, he's kind of got a point, though, with David Lee Roth not being, you know, up to snuff <laughs> these days. But then again... Was he ever? That's, that was going to be my next point, though. Live? Not so much. They never. Van Halen was never a great fucking band live, especially David Lee Roth. I don't know. I'll, I'll echo uh, our main host on the uh, our newer podcast. I don't think we've talked about too much on here. Speaking the, of Kiss. Yeah, the No Time to Turn Kiss Nerd podcast. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts like you're listening to right now. It's for all the Kiss nerds out there. It's hosted by Russ Ward and then the two of us chuckleheads to sit along and go... Feed us your wisdom, master. And, and also fuck Van Halen, like what yes. Russ says. Yes, and that's what I was leading into, is Russ is just all fuck Van Halen. So yeah, fuck I want to do a Van Halen debate with me and Jeff Williams against you and Russ. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think that would be great. I think that would be fun. And get Eddie, Eddie on board, too, because he hates Van Halen, just because I want to hear his fucking takes, because he and I have gotten into it back and forth here and there. I hope you realize, though, that if it was a table of you, me, Russ, Jeff, and Eddie... I don't know if there's an SD card large enough (laughs) to capture everything that would happen. Let's get the fucking NASA-sized fucking interface. (laughs) It's full of memory or some shit. God. Especially on Van Halen. Just on how much everybody either loves or hates Van Halen. That's like, all right, now episode five. (laughs) Now let's go into the real thing. Episode five, why Sammy Hagar sucks. (laughs) Fuck. <laughs> Episode six. Why the fifth Van Halen album sucks. <laughs> there's our there's our Van Halen retrospective. God. <laughs> 
But yeah, and then uh, today, actually, on Gene Simmons' birthday. Happy birthday, Gene, after we talk shit. <laughs> well, coincidentally enough, on his birthday, he releases an apology video through an interview source. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, what you were saying. He was just kind of being like, yeah, the, the, the article was written in such a way. It was out of context, bro. <laughs> he, was, he said that without saying it, and yeah. it was funny. <laughs> and then immediately launches into the fact he's doing art shows. <laughs> Wait, so G- I didn't see that part. Gene's doing art shows. You didn't watch the whole video? No, I was like, when you came, I was watching as you were coming down. Uh, I was oh, watching okay. that slash watching the fucking uh, Winston Salem Satanist fucking uh, Vice document. We'll talk about that series. later too. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no. I, so at the very end of it, he was just like, you know, I I have diarrhea of the mouth, you know, yeah. yada yada yada, blah 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 blah, and then. He goes into talking about the fact that he's doing art showings. And yes, Gene Simmons is now doing paintings and artwork and stuff. And at hanging first, out with Paul too much. Well, that's immediately what I thought. I was like, fucking hanging out with Paul too much, you know, smelt, smelled the money. But then I really started thinking about it. It actually makes way more sense for Gene to do it than it ever did for Paul to do it. Okay. Gene actually drew. Okay. Gene would help with the costume designs early on. Just draw up sketches. I think I want something like this. And then the costume designer would be, well, how about this? He's like, yeah, that's what I thought <laughs> in so many terms. Gotcha. But no, he would actually sketch. He would draw. And over quarantine, you saw he was doing little post-it note sketches. Yeah. And he was posting those up. And like he started getting more into it. And he said during lockdown, he rediscovered his love for drawing and sketching again. Sounds like uh, sounds like what I did over uh, fucking lockdown, too. All I did was I reverted back to my 16-year-old self drawing fucking kaiju and shit like that. Yep. So he said it just kind of spurred from that. And he said in the interview, I, I wasn't half listening at that point. I'd semi-tuned out, but I just wasn't going to close it out yet. I was just doing other things. I'll do that a lot. I'll just put my ear pods in, listen to interviews, and just, like, do shit. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's like I had halfway tuned out. But he said something along the lines of, like, he had done one, brought it to someone. Like, it was, like, a really professional art guy, like, brought it to him and was just, like, you know, uh, acting like he was just going to sell a piece of art was just like, you know, how, how much do you think this is worth? You know, kind of thing. And he's just like, and the guy was just blown away by it and was like, you know, who did this? Who did this? He's like, but is it, it's actually good. He's like, who did it? He's like, well, okay, I did it. You know, and that's what, and he said in that point, that's what gained the partnership and then connections, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. That's cool. I'd like to see those. I would too. I will say though, the one promo photo I saw was an absolutely staged promo photo <laughs> of him painting. It was not like an actually of him painting. It is like I could tell it was just like he got in his gear, kind of stood in front of the thing and, and just kind of like Well yeah. Well no, the canvas was already done. Oh uh, okay. And he just kind of like is acting like he's about to like put the finishing touches on it. Yeah. But it's like it no. No. <laughs> that's cute though he's a 72 he's a 72 year old man let him be the old man that paints let him be his own a little a rock and roll bob ross oh yeah no i have nothing against it it's just the, the staged promo photo mainly because he it looked like he was doing a signature on it with yeah. like a paintbrush but like i could tell about the way it was done it was done like quickly like you know like he would actually sign his name he just kind of did it with like a lot of ink you know, or a lot of paint on a brush so it you know goes through smooth like that the photo was of him like meticulously like finishing one of the lines in like the um, Simmons S uh, yeah. like the lines and that it looked like him like meticulous it looked like he was like finishing that line but like really looking at it and I'm like bro you didn't do that 
Just, see, <laughs> I'm just, see, I'm just picturing my mom doing the exact same thing now, you know? <laughs> so you're saying your mom and Gene Simmons are very much alike. They're Well, Gene's got that old, goofy old man thing going on now, you know? <laughs> that, goofy old man He thing. does. It's cute. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah. No, That's so. the world we live in now. Gene is a 72-year-old grandpa that likes to paint and, is, you know, it's that, that cute old man now. <laughs> I never thought I'd hear that sentence ever. <laughs> it's, it makes me la- it just makes me laugh as a fan. It does me too. It's, <laughs> and again, I've got nothing wrong with it. It's still just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, that's what the demon is doing now. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's like after you watch him with the, uh, on TV with his kids, just giving him shit, just watching him be regular dad. There's no coming back from that. <laughs> oh, no. But, but honestly, I love that shit. <laughs> I love watching Nick and Sophie give him so much hell. Oh, Nick is fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, God. There was an re- interview with, the, uh, with Nick and him recently, and Nick was just all over his ass. <laughs> it's the entire time. It's like, Dad, I stopped. No, no, no. You're doing the thing again. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) So you can't take the demon seriously anymore. (laughs) No, he's just immediately undercutting him the entire time. You're like, you're you're doing the thing again. Stop. I thought this was going to be a normal thing with us. (laughs) Once they franchise the name out, he should definitely be uh, the demon. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Damn it. That's going to be a thing soon. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> don't, don't give them any more ideas it's it's no it's 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 over charlie watts died it's over <laughs> yeah no shit r.i.p charlie watts that fucked me up yesterday dude did it? it did because like the rolling stones is like kind of like the zz top thing they were one of those bands that was just always around and charlie watts was there from day one yeah no shit i was like you're getting smacked left and right with the fucking dude, musician death all this my year, favorite right? bands are just gone now there's no more rush there's no more van halen there's no more well rolling stones are still gonna tour but still charlie watts was big deal of, and so oh, yeah. is easy top but two big parts of those bands are going oh yeah but yeah i know what you mean though still just like damn <laughs> i watched uh crossfire hurricane last night there's a, a ver- version of it on youtube with like french subtitles that's mm-hmm. you know that's the only thing that's different about on the youtube version and as an e- video editor you'd probably like it because what they did was take uh they told the rolling stone story with uh, archival footage oh okay i i do like that i yeah, yeah, I'd like that. And it's, <laughs> and, and it's all the members of the band uh, interviewing and uh, telling their side of the story in audio form. There's no uh, video of them talking to the uh, interviewer or whatever. They're just talking over the archi- uh, archival footage. That's cool. No, I really like that. I was like, yeah, it's like taking a whole bunch of old puzzle pieces and then repainting the pieces and making a brand new puzzle. I like that. And you get everybody's different takes. You know, Keith Richards is very romantic with his take on things. And then mm-hmm. Mick Jagger's just like, well, he may believe that, but this is what really <laughs> happened. <laughs> And you know, Kiss is never going to have a documentary like that. No, that's the amazing thing about that. Mick's very like you know straight up about everything. Like he doesn't you know he admits to you know oh the whole idea of being like uh, the opposite end of the Beatles or like the black hat of Beatles that was totally put on. Where like Mick, meanwhile, Keith's just like oh I totally wear the black hat every day, mate. And yada yada yada. <laughs> so it's fun. Yeah, no, I I, I want to to watch that. There was another music documentary I watched uh, too, but uh. Mentioning that is only going to lead into something else, so I'm going to haul off on that. But no, there's actually part of a reason why we're recording this on a Wednesday night and not like a weekend, you know, and anything isn't like it was just the guests. It's, again, as we mentioned at the beginning of this, we have just been super busy, and I'm going to be gone again this weekend. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I've been lucky enough to actually be running out with on tour with like Machines, yeah, and um, they just released that new single, "Come and Get It," and that. 
I'm it's, the more I'm listening to it, the more I'm really warming up to it, y'all. I, I dig it. It's a good song. It's a good little dance rock song. But uh, going out on the road with them has been especially fun because Andrew and Tanner have just always been great guys to be around. And their new drummer, David, is a fucking hoot. He is fun as shit. <laughs> he is, he's a great dude. Drummer's being cool. Who'd have thunk it? I <laughs> uh, know. He's only like only the second or third drummer I've met that I've been like, you're cool. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> I don't want to rip your head off. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so we went up to Evansville, Indiana, and they were opening for a pop evil. And um, this other band, I can't remember the name right off. Yeah, it's like Ghost, not Ghost. <laughs> no, Ghost would have been like uh, more famous than oh, Pop yeah. Evil. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Call me when that happens. Like Machines open for Ghost. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I like that band. <laughs> uh, fuck. I can't remember who they were. Very bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, but but the trip was really cool. And um, but on the way, so the way I've been doing this though, it's been a little bit convoluted, but it's been working. <laughs> is I've been taking Greyhound buses down to Atlanta and then either staying with a friend or in a hotel, like off and on throughout the week, and then just like traveling around via Uber or like you know, hey, I'm over here, just come grab me, kind of shit, and. Then like make a shit happen so it's like i was woke up early that day um and then we were heading i was trying to head out the door and the fucking water got turned off and it's like fuck yeah <laughs> it's like god damn it because it's like it, it's like right as i was about to even uh try it you sent me a message you're like the water's not working it's like right as i was about to go to the bathroom I'm like you've got to be shitting me i've got to go to the bathroom fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so send a message to the thing i'm like why is the water off no one replies. Like, God damn it. So by that point, I have to get out the door. A few hours later, leasing office calls me. Apparently, like a pipe or something upstairs leaked and completely flooded the upstairs. And it's just like, motherfuck. So I have to call you, Cap. <laughs> I'm just like, Cap, something fucking fucked up upstairs. I said, the upstairs is flooded. I said, please take care of it when you go home. You call me later. You're like, hey, they got everything cleaned up. Everything should be all right. They're going to come back through in a couple days to get everything finished up. I'm like, all right, sweet. Like, I gotta deal with that bullshit because, like, yeah, I'm looking over now, like, a shelf fell yeah. because of, like, how, like, like loose the wall got or, like, how wet the wall got. There's, like, shit on the fucking uh, ceiling, like, water damage marks, all this other stuff. Like, there's clearing out. There's stuff I still got glued back together. It was a wreck. So, I'm like, oh, boy. Of course, as soon as I leave town an hour or so later, this has to happen, of course. But anyway, lovely. That's what happens <laughs> when you try to get shit done. Oh, yeah. Life. Love mm -hmm. it. And, uh, and that was on top of already the bus being two and a half hours late leaving the station. And then after I get the phone call, we have to take a detour and then we make the wrong turn on the detour and have to backtrack and then find out that the detour wasn't going to work. So then we have to completely backtrack the entire detour. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Was this the one, uh, this sounds like my, our last trip, uh, our last trip back from Atlanta, not the, this past weekend, but the one before when we were recording. Oh, yeah? That sounds like our we took a detour, but then that detour kind of fucked up because of traffic and whatnot. Was it often? the interstate or whatever no this was uh going to atlanta okay no this wasn't coming back this was going to this is all still day one this is all still morning of but before like, i've even left it like before i've even said hello to atlanta this has all happened <laughs> i just made me think of like that whole fucking nightmare uh coming back from it where like a detour just didn't help anybody out whatsoever yeah, no, this didn't help at all either. We we were in like bumper to bumper traffic because they've been doing all that interstate work at the uh, border between North and South Carolina, kind of passing through Gaffney and Spartanburg, and 
that's around the area that like we just hit standstill traffic. It was horrible. It was down to like one or two lanes when we were supposed to have like three. And finally we take like this one quick detour because we can almost we can see like right up in front. It's like so dead, but we can see like up over the thing and there's like traffic moving. Yeah. And we're like, all right, cool. So we get off the interstate, we pull up around because it literally says detour. And we're like, screw it. We hit detour, we go up around, and now maybe and see, this is this is all changed. This is all leading to one big narrative arc. <laughs> which is if you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. The entire time I was watching the signs going, you probably ought to make that turn. So it's like you maybe ought I to should... make that turn. You know, if I start yelling, they're gonna yell at me. But I feel like we're getting lost. Just gonna let it keep going. And sure enough, yeah, she missed her turn twice. And I'm sitting here going, I'm like, okay, well, maybe she'll make it this time. Because we're going in a fucking circle. And I'm like, make the right, make the right. And we go left again. Oh my <laughs> God. And then eventually we just have to go all the way back around and then get back on the interstate. But thankfully by that point it had cleared up a little bit and we didn't get on like the exact one. It was it was still we probably would have done better just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> in the end of the day. <laughs> so no, yeah, it maybe if I had piped up and went, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we probably could have gotten there you a probably, little sooner. But, but I'm just picturing like that that uh driver going like, shut your ass down. Like uh, the fucking bus driver in South Park. Yeah, shut, shut your fucking mouth. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to get into that <laughs> before <laughs> I even got to my job. <laughs> so I'm just like it's going to keep my mouth shut, whatever. This is why I do this a day early. This is why I don't do shit the day of. This is why I pre-plan. This is why I do everything with so much leeway time because I don't know what the fuck could happen. Whatever. I'll still be there with plenty of fucking time even if we have to sit here for five more hours. I'm still going to have plenty of time to do what I need to do. Everything's going to be fine. And what time did you uh, wind up getting in? I was supposed to, it, I don't remember the exact time I wound up getting in, but I remember it was like three and a half hours late. It, it was ridiculous. Like the amount of time essentially it should have taken to get there, <laughs> roughly, because it takes about four, four and a half hours to do it. Yeah. It, nah, that sucked. That, car, that car's going to be awesome when you get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, finally get down there and... um. Uh, meet up with Tyler night one, hang out with him, and then get dropped off at the studio. Uh, get run through the rigmarole with uh, light machines, uh, the setup of the gear, because I was going to help Andrew swapping out guitars, everything else. Um, next day, I get loaded up in the van, do the gig, all that fun stuff. Um, and then we get back, and I was supposed to meet up, hang out with Tuck, but he's had life things going on too. Yeah. <laughs> so for two days, I was able to just kind of like decompress and just hang out. You know, I was kind of pilled around Tyler's neighborhood. Um, one of those days met up with Jackson uh, from rock hundred point five down in Atlanta, the big boy Atlanta rock station. Yes. Uh, so got to FM FM rock station. Well, no, you, and he was always just really cool, you know, just, brought us in, you know, early on in the scene, you know, and just put us on the radio. And was just like, you know, you're not an Atlanta band, but you are to me. It's like, oh, I'll take that all day from in that market. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, and he, and he reiterated because when I was talking with him and I was like, you know, let's just meet up for lunch or something. We started talking. He's just like, man, he goes, it's been so great to like, you know, be able to meet and hang out with you. He goes, it's been way too fucking long. And he goes, and I keep forgetting that like, you're not in town. <laughs> so it's just, it, it's just, it was nice to kind of catch up with him. And then, uh, the last two days shot a video for, uh, dirt preachers. Hell yeah. Then, uh, on the way back, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> it got worse on that bus ride back. It got worse. Like that was like I thought like okay, maybe I'm just getting all the bullshit out early. Because the trip with like machines was like a breeze. That that was like a vacation. Yeah. That was like nothing. It was fun. It was great. Uh, hanging out with Tyler all that time was fun. It was a little bit of work. It was a little bit of business, but it's, it is what it is. But then you know, that night when we finished wrapping up the video, we grabbed some food, and I was like, "Yo, I'm just gonna go ahead and grab a Greyhound and come on home." And I was supposed to get home. It was supposed to already be like late. I was supposed to get yeah. home at like like eleven thirty, twelve o'clock, somewhere in that area. So I was supposed to roll in, you know, pretty late. I get to the bus stop, plenty of time, chilling, waiting. Everyone starts kind of like lining up when there's about roughly their time. I'm like, oh, that looks like all my folk. Yeah, yeah, I see. Okay, I need to go over there. Start waiting, waiting. Then people just start leaving their bags and walking away. And I'm like, uh-oh, I think I know what's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yep, here we go. And then Terrific. Slow- uh-huh. And then like I see like one person sit on the floor and someone else sits down. And I'm like, yep, we're going to be delayed. And it wasn't just like a two and a half hour delay. It was like three hours on the dot. Jesus. Three hours on the dot late. We did not leave Atlanta until like three something that night. Oh. Or actually, no, sorry. I didn't get home. No. What the fuck was it? Because there was... Let's see. Yep. Fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that near uh, what we were saying with the uh, Light Machines crew. The, uh, there was a drive called Fuckway. Like F-U-Q-U-A-Y. <laughs> Fuckway. Hey, man, we're on Fuckway Street. <laughs> hey, you will never forget where you are at that point. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Fuck let's way. see. Yeah, it wasn't. Okay, yeah. So I was supposed to. Okay, that's what it was. I was supposed to leave at like eight. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. I was supposed to leave at eight. We didn't leave until twelve thirty. Jesus. Yeah, and I didn't arrive home. Like literally, I didn't get off of the bus. Not home as in home in bed. I did. I walked off the bus, walked around the corner, looked up at the skyline, took my mask off. Finally, after four and a half hours, did. <sighs> <laughs> Took a photo, pulled up the clock, and it said 4.30 a.m. Bu- that bus hauled ass, though, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it hauled ass, but it's like, it was right there at 4 fucking 30 in downtown. So, yeah, I didn't get home until probably closer to 5, 5.30. And, yeah, I probably slept for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> and then immediately it was right back up because we had to do podcasting, which at the same time, I'm actually really, as much as it sucked that I had to go through all that, I'm kind of glad I did because having to wake up early and get ready for all the podcasting, when Paul came over here to do his couch potatoes episode, I sit down, we get all ready. I'm about, you know, I have a little bit of coffee in me. It's like, all right, fuck it. I've ran on four hours of sleep before. Just maybe not with this much activity behind me, but fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. right about that time, I look over to my left and I see water just dripping out from the corner of the kitchen. 
And I'm like, is the fridge leaking now? What the fuck? So I quickly get up as to not alert anyone at the table because good God. Thankfully, you're good at it. I don't know how Chris or Paul would have been about, oh, Alex just left. I wonder where he's going. Yeah. Like, I know you would just like keep the conversation rolling. And so it's like I was trying not to like move too quickly to like alert anyone. I was just trying to act like maybe I forgot something or I needed to do something real quick. That way no one like tried stopping. But yeah, I run down there and it's like I was sopping up the liquid or the water rather but I just couldn't figure out where it was coming from it wasn't like drifting from like the um um fridge or anything but then it's like as soon as I would like sop up the water it would just start leaking out again so it's like I just got really close to the floor and just like put a paper towel like kind of between the floorboards and it just started like seeping and pooling full of water I'm like what the fuck what is leaking through here i call i go outside and i call the fucking maintenance crew and that's when you hear the oh someone's at the door yeah. <laughs> i had to leave that in because i was like god damn it Cap. <laughs> I, that, really is that what that was because <laughs> the whole, the whole time's like it was like 15 minutes later i was like something happened but i just kept the podcast going like i wasn't I gonna stop this i was and, like something's wrong <laughs> and, and what was funny is after i hit pause on it i i complimented everyone at the table i said I said, Chris, you may not be a musician. I said, but everyone at this table is a musician. I said, because no one fucking stopped. Yeah. <laughs> you just keep going until uh, you land back on that one. <laughs> you all kept going until someone gave you the cut sign. No yeah. one gave you the cut signs. So you, you kept going. We're such pros. What do yeah. you go, Paul, too? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, so, so the guy comes in, and he's taking a look at it, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's your AC leak. And he goes, let me get a bucket in there, so I can immediately stop the leaking. So he throws a bunch of towels in there. We get electronic moved all this stuff and like the, the floors in here are crap anyway uh it's basically like vinyl flooring that looks like hardwood floor with like cement underneath yeah that's essentially what these floors are mm-hmm. and he's just like well it's not really much we can do about you know all the water that's going to be getting up underneath you know the vinyl flooring you know hopefully that'll just dry up eventually yada 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 if there's any bubbling i guess we'll take care of that I was like, okay, well, what about the leak? Yeah. I said, well, what are we going to do about that? He's like, oh, well, um, I get the, the drainage line's probably clogged. Uh, he's like, so, so we'll, uh, let me see if I can't get it all. Uh, he's like, see if I can get it cleaned out. He cleans it out a little bit. He's like, okay, yeah, he's, um, it's, it's really hard to get to. I couldn't really find where it was, but I got it cleaned out some. It should be working better now. I'm like, but that, that doesn't mean you fixed it, motherfucker. Yeah. I'm like, okay, thanks. And he walks out the door and, uh, a little bit later on. Oh, actually, no, that was before he put the bucket in. He just does that first and leaves. That's yeah. what it was. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I think we finished up the podcast. That's what it was. We finished up the podcast. Yeah. That's when I jumped back in. And when we stopped it, by the time we stopped it, I looked back over. It was already leaking again. It's like, what the fuck? I call him back. I was like, no, it's not fixed. Come back. That's when he like goes, okay, well, I don't know where the leak can be coming from. It must be from the drainage line, and I don't know really where we can get to that. We'll probably have to cut open part of your wall. I was like, well, cut it open. Yeah. I don't care. He's like, well, we might have to move. I move shit. I don't care. Fix this. I said, I can't. I said, part of my lease agreement says that I can't mm-hmm. fix this shit. You have to do it. I said, if this was my own terms, I'd be fixing it right fucking now. So you need to fix this. Well, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just going to put a bucket in here. Uh, I'll be back by tomorrow morning to double check on it. And then, Spoiler alert, he never did. And you the said thing, you were going to be here tomorrow. Oh, I was high when I said that. <laughs> I fucking was. And that's the thing, too. The bucket he put in there was so tall, 
that you had to empty it twice a day. Yeah. Because when I walked in the next morning to empty it out, because I checked it before we went to bed, and I was like, eh, there's not really a lot in there. I'm not pulling all this shit out just to fucking dump it now. I'm doing it in the morning. So I come down in the morning, I check it, and I'm like, oh yeah, we're pretty full now. So I'm angling it, and it's like, I get it right to about where it can pull out, and the water is like almost up to the line. Uh, and I still need like a half an inch more I was gonna diameter say because, pull down. It was because that vent ain't that big. It's not. And it's like I still need like another like maybe quarter of an inch of like pull down on the bucket to, in order to like pull it out. Oh, And no. I'm just like, son of a bitch, motherfucker, motherfucker, motherfucker. Put the bucket back in there. Go back into the kitchen. Grab a mixing bowl. Yeah. <laughs> put it up underneath. Pull the son of a bitch out. Fill up the mixing bowl at the same time. Fucking dump that shit. Dump the mixing bowl. Custom myself the entire fucking morning. Dump that shit back in there. Call up the leasing office. Where the fuck are you guys? Yada yada yada. Someone was supposed to be back over here. Call me back by a click. Nothing. The next day, I'm like, I'm not playing anymore. I think it was the next day. Fucking walk my ass down there. I'm like. I need to speak to the property manager right now. <laughs> I'm like, I have had it. I said, this is, I'm done. And she's like, well, you know, uh, the, the person I spoke with, she's like, well, let me help, you know, some yada, yada, yada. She goes, what is the problem? I gave her the full rundown. She goes, well, let me at least give a chance to help fix it first. She goes, uh, someone will be by in a couple hours. I'm like, fine. Guy comes through. And he goes, uh, well, we might need to find where your drainage pipe is. I was like, I know. They said you probably need to cut the wall. He's like, uh, maybe not. It's probably this right here. And he pops this little door open. He goes, oh, yeah, there it is. I'm like, <sighs> oh, God, these fucking geniuses. So then he fully rotors it out. And yeah, the thing goes like gushing like you fucking flush the toilet. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was definitely part of the problem. That's one. Of, that's why I was backing up and leaking. I'm like, you don't say. I'm like, well, thank you for fixing it. Now I'm like pointing at the ceiling. Going, what are we going to do about this? He's like, well, I'll just come back in here and repaint it. I'm like, uh, what? Yeah, he's just like, well, repaint it. I was like, you just going to come in and repaint it. I was like that's not going to do anything. I said, that's not going to kill like, you know, bacteria or spore, you know, shit that could be possibly starting to build. He's like, Oh, well, I'll, I'll get a little, he's like, I'll be right back. He gets like this fucking disinfectant spray and like sprays it in the fucking vent, like closes the vent. And I'm like, it's like, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, bro. I was like, what's that going to do? He's like, well, it's going to go like through the air vents and it's like a deodorizer. I'm like, right. So you're just going to get rid of the smell. Got it. What's going to happen six hours from now when your little smell goods have gone? He goes, well, it's a disinfectant also. I said, you're not spraying every inch of this with the spray, are you? I said, you're not spraying the walls with it. You're not spraying the carpet with it. You sprayed a little bit in the air vent and then said, my job is done. Yeah, I was just doing the bare fucking minimum. And he's God like, well, and he's like, well, what would you expect us to do? And I'm like, fix the damn thing. And, and, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm not a fucking repair man. All I know is in order to fix water damage, you don't just go in a fucking air vent and say my job's done. I know there's a little more to it than that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> then what do you have to say to that? Well, it, it turned into that. Well, we're just going to get it fixed. I don't know what to tell you. He was supposed to be by today to do it. 
No, and he definitely wasn't. Yeah, I'm saying so. That's why I said <laughs> earlier today. I was like, "There's a couple asses I'm going to have to kick tomorrow." <laughs> He's number two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, I've been writing a little booklet. So, <laughs> so Red so, Foreman, asses I have to kick. Yes. So, like I said 20 minutes ago, this all leads up to a narrative, which is nice. Alex didn't work. <laughs> Alex keeping his mouth shut all the fucking time didn't work. <laughs> Kept it got him fucking lost on a greyhound. It's not been getting this shit fucking fixed. And you know what? I guarantee you, if I had been letting out a little bit of that annoyance here and there, the same shit would have been happening. So I'm sick and tired of holding my damn tongue all the time. <laughs> Especially with these redneck motherfuckers that can't fucking fix anything. Seriously, it's just like motherfuck. It's like uh so on top of all that, yep. this Saturday I'm going to be leaving again to head out with Light Machines on another week run, and then I'll be doing the Tuck Show on the fourth. <laughs> that was going to be fun though. And then uh, next week, I'm uh, speaking of bands I've been playing with, I'll be doing a farewell show for the Grave Rollers. Yeah. So like through all of this, in the middle of all of this, I also get word that one of my clients, Mr. Tony Leone, <laughs> is going to be moving on me. <laughs> He's going back to Charleston, man. He's going back to Charleston. Yeah, that, I, uh, yeah. This will be my second and last show with the Gray Rollers. <laughs> hey, man, at least you got a show with them. All I got was a practice and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I did like, uh, I've, been, I've been through so many practices. I've been through uh, two lineups with them now. <laughs> <laughs> two, not, two lineups in one show. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, fuck. But yeah, no, it's like we, of course, give him his best wishes. I know he's probably listening to this episode. We still got to give you some shit for you, though, man. Yeah, I'm excited about playing that show, though. I've, one thing I'm sad about is that we're not recording a couple of tunes that we've been writing yet. I'm, I'm sure there'll still be a chance for it. There's one we've been working on that's so cool. It's a, sur it's a surfy rock song. You probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, since I'm the only guitar player in the band now, and uh, with Tony's voice, it's kind of become like a Dead Kennedys kind of thing. I can imagine so now, yeah. Yeah, I kind of went full East Bay Ray with it, with like the single guitar lines and shit uh -huh. like that. No, I can absolutely see that now because you you were playing basically the same stuff I was playing during that time, and yeah, I'm imagining just me riffing it without anyone else, and yeah, that probably does have a uh -huh. very odd Dead Kennedys kind of. It's a different vibe, yeah. yeah, with one guitar player. That's cool though, man. And then like Tony's going. Ha, da, da, da. <laughs> God, if he did. Yes. <laughs> it's cool though. I I, I want to record that one, Tony, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm just excited for the fact that you know we're been getting out there and doing shows again, but it's yeah. still just like I'm just worried it's going to get taken away from us again. <laughs> I know. I'm seeing I'm seeing more more, more bands canceling tours now. Yeah, and I'm just I'm hoping it's not happening. So if you are listening to this and you you want to continue to you know go out and have some fun with us, why don't you do that tonight at the Milestone? Yeah, <laughs> tonight at the Milestone, uh, we're going to be playing. It's actually going to be one of our last local shows for a minute, and especially like last standard local shows, if anything. Yep. Um, but it's going to be with the Silver Tongue Dug Devils, <laughs> Dev Deggles, Devil Eggs, <laughs> the Silver Tongue Deggles, <laughs> Silver Tongue. De I know a Silver Tongue Daggle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> the Silver Tongue Devils, Jackson Fig, and Silence Equals Death from New Jersey. They're going to be doing a little quick run on their tour, hopping on this date. So that's going to be pretty fun. Shout out to Dave Finch from uh, Jackson Fig. He does uh, repair uh, guitar repairs and uh, sells and buys guitars, amps. Look up Dave's guitars on Instagram and all that fun stuff. Absolutely. No, he winds up getting some beautiful little pieces in. This is like lately the past couple of days he's been hitting me hard. It's like every so often I'll see the stuff he posts and I'm like, ooh, that's pretty. Past couple of days though, it's just been like, mother fuck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what yeah, are you, you doing to me? Yeah, you get him going, he'll be like, oh, look, like it's got this thing, and then it's got this other little shiny, cool little uh, I know, accessory. And I'm like, stop it, it, Dave. <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> that's the thing about a musician. Like, all the cool shit's fucking expensive. Why? Why? <laughs> we're broke. We're broke ass musicians. Why you gotta do it to us like that? that, that industry. That, that shit don't line up. No. It's like we're broke. Don't make the cool shit expensive. See, that's why we gotta get famous so we can get the endorsed gear and all that shit. Share the podcast, goddammit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Um, when you're talking about uh, music documentaries earlier, I finally cracked down and watched Woodstock '99. Oh God, that fuck! What a shit show that was. So. I didn't realize just how fucking crazy that went down. Yeah, riots and, like, fucking rape and, like... Yeah, well, yes. It's just, I didn't... So, we were both, not as much me, but you were definitely at the age where you kind of saw that shit going down like in a, real time. Kind of like, uh, yeah, I was, I was in junior high at, like, the peak years of, like, the Kid Rock breaking and Limp Biscuit breaking and mm. all that shit. So, do you remember, like, seeing anything on the news about Woodstock 99 being a disaster? Uh, not really. I think I might have been too young to really get, you know, that kind of culture or anything mm -hmm. like that either at the same time because I wasn't like, a, I didn't care for any of that kind of music or anything like that. It just The only thing that was in the news that was talked about music-wise really was uh, the Napster stuff. Yeah. And uh, for the Woodstock 99 stuff was covered, they weren't showing it to a bunch of junior high kids and fucking... Uh, <laughs> well, no, I didn't know like, if like, the local news was like talking about anything. Nah, I guess not from what we were watching or okay. anything like that. Because I was going to say, it's like maybe it was because mom was just like in tune with music, but it's like I remember hearing the name Woodstock like as a kid, and it's like, and I know... I know for a fact that by 99, 2000, I was a fan because of music and rock and roll because I wanted to see Kiss on the Farewell Tour. Yeah. And that was 2001. So I know that I had to be like aware and conscious of music, you know, around then. See, born in 92. Yeah, I would say at least by five. So like 97, you know, so about around 97, 98 is when I really started paying attention to music. The more I'm talking, the more I'm remembering. Yeah. I remember when Psycho Circus was brand new and I was already a Kiss fan. So that was 98. Yeah. So I was already, so mom and I were already talking music and I was into music by the late 90s, early 2000s. And I remember her maybe vaguely mentioning Woodstock or like me going like, or me mentioning something about Woodstock. And I remember her saying something like, yeah, but the way it is today and the way it was back then. No. Something like that. And I'm just like, oh, well, that sucks. You know, that kind of thing. But it just being like almost like, but I was almost talking about it in like the same way I would like carowinds. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like I, I, had, I didn't have like a full awareness of what Woodstock was, but like I just remember mentioning the name and her going, oh yeah, but it's just not the way it, you know, it's just not the way it was today like it was back then. I sure as hell was not. No. And that documentary was nuts. I'd seen clips before from the Offspring set. One, because of how bad they were. Yeah. <laughs> and two, 
it's always funny to watch them beat up uh, fake in uh, sync fucking uh, yeah. stand ups with um, baseball bats. That's always funny to watch. And then like the audience were like taking that serious, like yeah, fucking sick, fuck MTV. And Carson Daly's just like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, and it was funny as when I was watching the documentary, I realized I had seen a lot more clips from that than I thought. Yeah, I didn't realize how many like just from different artists, like even that I didn't give a shit about I, that I realized I saw clips from that you know show. Yeah. Yeah, like Megadeth was on there. It's like, when did I didn't know that? Or like James Brown was like on like three o'clock in the afternoon or some shit. Yeah, and I'm just like, what? Okay, cool. And I think uh, Mike Ness did a solo set on uh, at Woodstock, and like uh, I think I've watched that on YouTube before. Hmm, I missed that one. I didn't see that. I, I damn, that'd be interesting to see too. Yeah, it was Woodstock '99 too. I think it was Woodstock '99. It had yeah. to have been because yeah. the last one they did was '94 that had like the Green Day, uh, you know, Dookie fight, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> literal Dookie fight. Yeah, ew. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they were like uh, in the '60s. It was all about the hippies, and in the '99, it was all about you know all the Limp Biscuit fans and all the jocks that loved Limp Biscuit and stuff like that. And they put the blame on Fred Durst for a lot of the fucking bad behavior and shit like that. So I don't think that's fair. Okay, I was actually I was gonna say I was. Gonna going to be curious to see if you had an opinion on that that's an interesting uh, road i'd like to kind of go down debate wise so like what you're saying a little bit more lead in a lot of the people in the documentary were kind of split uh kind of 50 50 um between 50 50 rather as in blaming the artists versus blaming the people there in general yeah now in the artist case the main people they were pointing to was dmx fred durst and um, Kid Rock. Yeah. Those were the three they were really pointing to because DMX basically had that audience, you know, in the palm of his hand. If he had said kill, they would have immediately all pulled out guns and started shooting at each Probably, other. Probably, yeah. You know, so it's like he had them in the palm of his hand. And and I want to say, like, he even said, like, you know, it's time to fuck some shit up, you know, and then saw, like, damage and was like, that's what I'm talking about. So it's like he was kind of, like, playing into it. But then Limp Biscuit took it that step higher uh-huh. where like he would say time to tear shit down tear shit down getting and, ready for like the buildup of a breakdown or some exactly shit. yeah so it's like he was intentionally doing it more they were coming up to him saying yo shut up quit saying that shit they're like taking yeah. you super seriously and then he would double down on it yeah and then kid rock got up there and basically did the same shit but on 11 right. and just fucking like went crazy with it and even fucking dave mustaine fucking took a little tongue-in-cheek approach to it on the very last day by sell by singing you know peace sells but who's buying <laughs> kind of reflects the uh well that reflects just the fucking culture of like the audience that was there too oh absolutely so i looking at that i really feel that it turns into those two wrongs don't make a right situation no i think that that audience was predisposed for any sort of violence and any little hair trigger of such, and then that's all they need to go wild. And I think that it's partly responsible of the artist to know if that's going to be the case and if their fans are going to be hurt due to them requesting this riot to be incited. I totally agree with you on that. I think uh, with like your Kid Rocks and your Fred Durst and your DMXs of that lineup, those three are were essentially a product of that culture in that time period, especially in uh, 
popular music. Mm-hmm. And DMX definitely got the shorter end of that stick. He he mainly got the little footnote of being like, th- this was the guy that really kind of got the audience like really excited. Yeah. And then this happened. Yeah. And then it got worse. They were like, <laughs> there were so many white people saying the N word. It was yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And DMX was like, fuck yeah, white people. <laughs> you know, as an artist, you're getting jazzed by it because there's like 500,000 people fucking screaming your lyrics. And you know, how could you not get jazzed by that? Oh, yeah. But at the same time, it's like you got. You have a responsibility, too. Uh huh. It's like, and again, it's so weird for me personally being on both sides, being on the production stagehand side and the performer side. There's times where I'm just like, as a performer, if you fucking get in my way, I'm going to like bury you. But then there's other times the stagehand going, if I don't get this performer under control, it's my ass. (laughs) You know, so it's like there is that really big balancing act between like, don't fuck up the artist, but also make sure the artist doesn't fuck you up. (laughs) And they talk about how... uh um, but they talk about how uh, in that time period, you know, the the contrast between the 69 Woodstock and the 99 Woodstock, where in uh, 1969, people were, you know, fighting, fighting the, the quote unquote man because of, you know, race riots and because of Vietnam and because of, uh, you know, legitimate issues that were going on. In 1999, you know, this was before 9-11, you know, uh, that we had the biggest, you know, surplus in economics in that in that time period, you know, depending on what you read about and shit like that. I'm no economic expert or anything like that in the nineties. So what but that's what you that's what I hear all the time. Me anyway. too. I always hear the economy was fine in the nineties. But this is also but I think the only like a serious issue that was going on right now at that time was Columbine. Columbine had just happened in that that they had that uh tent outside where they were selling uh, yeah, candles so, in remembrance of the victims. Yeah, so so let's let's go back to that one a little bit, because that that was God, I feel so bad for those people. Yeah. Those are the ones out of even the promoters. Those kids are the ones I feel the worst for. On day one, they set up this tent. They were giving away candles. Giving away candles in remembrance of the Columbine shooting. And they said, we're giving out candles all weekend. Meet back here on Sunday, two days later, and bring your candles. Everyone's going to light them, and we're going to have a silent candlelight vigil. And it was going to be almost kind of like a callback to like what you were saying, the old Woodstock thing. So like maybe there was going to be like this tiny little hippie pocket thing that was going to happen. And, and instead, we turn it into a bonfire and start burning all the stages. Everything. Oh my God. Imagine that kid, that bright eyed, bushy tailed kid at the start of that documentary. Just do something good. Explaining, I'm going to give candles to all these metalheads, <laughs> and they're going to do the right thing. <laughs> And these are just like folks that aren't mad at, you know, anything, you know, culturally significant. They're just mad at, you know, being anything. bored. Yeah, just they're ba- bored. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. And it's just like the innocence of the gesture, the naivety of the clientele, mm-hmm. and the hopefulness all at one time in his face of just being like, this is going to work. Oh, my God. I would... For the comedy side, I would like to, but from the humanity side, of course I wouldn't, because I know it was like devastating for him. But like, I would have loved to have seen his reaction day on the last day when he realized, oh, those are all my candles. So, are the the, the red hot chili, the red hot chili peppers are playing what? No, are they playing fire? God damn it! I know. And now look, again, we don't want to blame the artist, but like. 
Why did you choose that fucking song? Why are you going to antagonize the situation? <laughs> like Fleet. Put you some just, pants on. <laughs> you, yes. <laughs> but you just got up there and was like, hey guys, just go home and throw your fucking guns away. Just throw them away. Throw them in the garbage. We all need them. Now we're going to sing. Spot on. <laughs> and, and now they're going to fucking sing a song by a guy that did also play the original Woodstock. Yeah. As a tongue-in-cheek moment to the fact that people are burning down the event. It's just riot music, and they're just like totally fine with doing it. Throw your guns away. (laughs) Fuck you. That's the the Red Hot Chili Peppers in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, burn down the thing we're playing on. Burn down, you know, the music festival, but throw your guns away. Fuck that. Another fun. I'm not even like one of those big old pro gun people. I'm like, like seriously, I don't even own a gun. I'm not even like mega, like you know, pro gun. Fuck that. I, like, seriously, I watch people shooting machine guns, and I'm like, what the fuck ever. But I hear a comment like that, and it makes me want to go buy a gun. <laughs> they were dropping acid like they were back at fucking 69 or some shit. Who knows? I don't know. But here's the other fucked up thing about the whole Woodstock situation, though, is both of us even, the entire time, keep referring to the original Woodstock and then 99. Only once did we mention 94. Yeah, and that And was- now, 94... May have been a little chaotic, may have been the anything that can go wrong that went wrong situation happened, but it still, for all intents and purposes, was okay. Yeah, no, no, like that, that 94 Woodstock doesn't get brought up a lot, like you said. And like the one thing that does keep getting brought up is that fucking, you know, poop slinging uh, set that Green Day had. Yeah. And that was a stacked bill, too. Primus was on it. I think Grateful Dead was on it. I could be wrong. I forget what Jerry Garcia's Garcia's death date was, but it was more like of that, you know, it was more traditional. There was more jam bands on that one. I'm pretty sure Dave Matthews was on that one or something like that, too. So it's like, okay, so then, and it even kind of ties into what they talked about at the very end, so it's like, think about it. If those are the kind of bands you had, and if the worst thing that happened was a shit stir fight during the Green Day set, that... Honestly, they fucking loved it. They ate it up. No, oh, yeah. Not literally, but, you know, they, they like, totally... It's punk rock as shit. Yeah, they, they played into it, and then, you know, got fuck off stage, and, you know, and everyone else had a good time. It's like, if that was the most rowdy, crazy thing that happened, then I would say that was a success. So what happened between 94 and 99? Not a whole lot. You just put the wrong bands on the bill. That's what it was, and, the, and uh, you got that wrong fan base that big of a fan base into a festival setting with no rules that's one thing they brought up again on the documentary too like they didn't do a whole lot of festivals like that back then because getting that um, that that money uh, that many people in a space like that is going to you know get this fucking group mentality of uh you know us against the man kind of bullshit you know same thing happened with uh altamont where uh the rolling stones headline a free concert and uh Somebody wound up getting uh, stabbed, and you see it in that fucking uh, documentary I brought up too, where they uh, play Altamont and the. It was also a, a cl- clusterfuck of you know them hiring the Hell's Angels to be their security and all that shit too. Wow. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, and this, that, that's so fucked up that the Stones like you know, hired the Hell's Angels, thinking they were like you know English Hell's Angels. You know we we're like fucking guys on motorcycles. No, these were like fucking. We will fucking kill you where you stand, Hell's Angels. <laughs> yeah, drunk and tripping on acid. <laughs> Oh my God! No, no. <clears throat> so that was like the, so that was just as big a tragedy as say the Woodstock '99 was, and uh, mm-hmm. people they talk about the '69 Woodstock uh, 
festival not without uh, not going off without a hitch or anything like that either about like people getting heat strokes and shit like that too where stuff like that just kind of sw- got swept under the rug because the people telling the 69 Woodstock story you know have ro- rose colored glasses about how mm-hmm. it was this is big cultural event and shit like that you know but then you hear uh, songs by Crosby Stills and Nash and CCR and The Who about how miserable it was oh yeah who'll stop the rain that's all about Woodstock yep absolutely and then um, and then the same thing happened well and then and then we fast forward a little bit later, 94. I think a little bit of that still happened. I think there was still rain issues. Yeah. Um, That's why they got all the mud on stage. <laughs> yep. Uh, there was still rain issues. I'm sure there was still, you know, basic, you know, heat stroke and water issues that, you know, every fucking festival has. But then exactly what they said, the clientele was the only thing that really, I mean, the bands and the band choices was the only thing that changed. And proof of concept being, and they mentioned it in the documentary, a year later, Coachella happened with completely different kind of bands, Mm -hmm. and it was almost like Woodstock. They said it had feelings of Woodstock, and people that went there said, this is what 99 should have been. And that kind of spawned the uh, Bonnaroos and the uh, Forecastles. Then we got a whole festival circuit and, uh, you know, culture out of that, too, for, you know, Pretty on a consistent basis until last year. I think Bonnaroo's still happening this year, though. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and that's one of the bigger ones now. Yeah, that's in Manchester, Tennessee. And I remember when that started up, where that was just like, you know, we got this uh, cute, this uh, fun little farm festival that you know Dave Matthews is going to headline because we, you know, we get our jam band hippie clientele in. And then like fast forward to like six or seven years later, Eminem's headlining, then Paul McCartney's headlining, and then mm-hmm. you know everybody that's you know, worth a damn in music is, you know, playing sets with each other. And I've never been. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say though, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed everyone's interviews in the Woodstock 99 documentary, even for bands I didn't give a shit about. Like it was still really interesting hearing their point of view on it, except for Moby. <laughs> Moby was just like, I wanted to strangle him so bad. He wanted, what, what, what pissed you off about him? He was just like, I got a vibe here. We he need to get the fuck out. That, he didn't piss me off. He just, he really strikes me as one of those that like is really nice to you. He'll talk with you all day long, but he knows he's far more intellectually superior um, than you. And you should just be really thankful I'm humoring you by continuing to talk to you. To quote Eminem, nope, don't nobody listen to techno. <laughs> yeah, so he just, he, he really struck me as one of those kinds. And I'm just like, ugh. And especially because at first I did feel bad for him because he was just like, my name wasn't even on the piece of wood, you know, welcoming the bands in. But then the more he started talking, I'm sorry, Moby, you weren't actually part on the fucking set to begin with. You were playing the goddamn rave after party. You weren't playing fucking Woodstock. You were playing the tent in the fucking parking lot, you dick. Shut the fuck up and move along. Hey, but he headlined the tent. He headlined the parking lot tent at Woodstock 99. Good job, Moby. Congratulations. I'm still not listening to your music. 20, 30 years later. Yeah. So, so that's why I was all fucking pissy about or annoyed with him. Not because like he like he made me mad, but just like he's so fucking pompous. And then like one thing he said in there was like, so like when I was doing the EDM 10, I was thinking like, you know, this was going to be like a cool subsection of people kind of off on their own. Bitch. 
do you think that like a brand new group of people are going to be rolling on in at nighttime? You didn't think it's going to be the same fucking people that have been hanging out all day long to fucking Limp Biscuit and fucking Slayer and whatever fucking the metal bands were on that bill? So they're rocking out to Metallica on fucking pills and yeah, booze. They're yeah. going to come party and hook up at the fucking rave tent afterwards. Yeah, no, you're not going to meet fucking like-minded, intellectual, spiritual, ooh, let's drop ass and fucking talk about world peace, dude. No, that wasn't going to fucking happen, bro. You don't see that at any festival. <laughs> That's what he was fucking hoping for. <laughs> From the way he was talking, it's what he was hoping for. It's like, I respect him on the whole, you know, I got a vibe shit. I get vibes too, but just like... Just the way he carries himself and the way he sits there and just the look on his face. He just uh, utterly punchable face. I forgot how much I fucking hated Moby. <laughs> it's the first time I've seen him in anything in years. Me too, and that's why I said I forgot. <laughs> By the way, how hilarious was the Creed set where they're just like, We got Robbie Krieger and everybody's like, Who the who, who the fuck is that? <laughs> and the thing was, is I'm even watching that. The doors they, didn't even play fucking Woodstock. <laughs> I looked. I had to look that up because I, I'm not a hippie music kind of guy, and it's like I have my Doors phase, but it's like whatever. <laughs> but it's like I, I didn't look. I didn't know if they played or not. So it's like when I first watched it, I was like, oh, well, that that is kind of cool. There, the, at least one thing to try to connect it from the very old, you know, to like pass it over to the new generation. Okay, that's kind of cool. Whatever. And the exact way you said, I looked it up. I was like, motherfucker, didn't even play. Nope. That was so pointless. No one gave a damn. No. <laughs> so you have the folks that. I- the sets that I did like from Woodstock are like Johnny Winter and Sly and the Family Stone and not any of the hippie stuff whatsoever. One of the interviews I thought was funny from one of the uh, people that went, she said, it was. It seemed like the one true music fan they actually interviewed the entire time it was the chick. Yeah. It, it seemed like she was like the only real music fan they interviewed. Everyone else there wanted to talk about like the riots and shit. She wanted to actually talk about the bands. Yeah. And she was like, uh, I remember her distinctly going, she's like, I remember waking up Sunday afternoon at some point hearing tear down the wall tear down the wall and I thought holy fuck yeah they got Pink Floyd that would be so Woodstock for them to surprise us and bring out Pink Floyd she's like but I just I ran out there just to see people tearing down a wooden wall oh they're just like ripping shit up okay yeah she sounded like legit bummed she was like oh you're just destroying shit yeah. okay <laughs> that promoter tried to do uh, a 30th not 30 but a 40th see that was no a 2019 he was wanting to do a 50th anniversary of woodstock and it just never happened no because you remember seeing the flyers for like everybody that he was gonna have booked yeah there that was not gonna happen i remember like yeah and i remember like listening to radio shows it was like listening to eddie trunk you know talk about it too on his show he goes like I, he has these names i don't think it's gonna happen but we'll see uh-huh. i think his name is robert lang yeah yeah so, sounds right yeah and, and the and the other thing too i started thinking about this and this may t- tie back to we've been so sporadic with our episodes i'll know which one it would have landed on but a few episodes back we were kind of talking about the transition um between uh independent radio to clear channel mm-hmm. and and that happened like what late 90s uh independent to clear channel that had to have been uh it was some it was under bill clinton for sure okay so that's a man one of the other things they kept complaining about that really kicked off a lot of the riots was the $4 water. Yeah. And that's something that we've continually seen to this day at any major event. Yep. I wonder if that was the, if that was due to the clear channel thing or the, 
because, Go on. because of because radio stations would promote different concert shows. Yeah. There and they kept saying there were certain contracts in place where they had to sell the water at four dollars. They kept mentioning that over and over in the documentary. There was a contract in place. They had to sell the water at $4. They could not sell it less than $4. There was yeah. a contract involved. And if there's a contract involved, that tells me that there is a large corporation dictating this. Oh, totally. Now, we look at the artists that were on there. The Offspring, Limp Biscuit, DMX. All clear channel artists. I can keep going on. It's just those are the ones immediately in my yeah. head. But you keep thinking through the rest of Metallica, Megadeth, yada, 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 Red Hot Chili Peppers. All of them are big clear channel artists. I wonder if they were able to get them on some sort of package deal because of the new networking and marketing. It had to come from somewhere. It wasn't just fucking the promoters. <laughs> That's a fucking weird thing. That's a, that's a fucking rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> they, didn't t- they didn't talk about that, where the money came from or anything like that. Exactly. And I'm wondering if that was the start of all our outrageous water and drink prices these days because everyone was pissed at that, which shows me that was a very early thing, maybe one of the first major instances of overpriced liquids. Like we talked about, uh, we were saying earlier about how uh, major festivals became a thing after the Woodstock 99, the more controlled one. Yeah, you had your touring, you know, festivals and things like that with Lilith Fairs and... Hell, even know, OzFest and Oz shit like Fest, that. yeah. But those were like, you know, those weren't Woodstock. But even OzFest, that kicked off in like 98, 99. That's true. That's true. Right around the same time the fucking Clear Channel shit hit. Bro, I think there's a connection. Like, I'm not be. I'm not trying to be fucking Alex Jones on this bitch right now, but I'm just like, I'm just sitting here. I've smoked a little bit. And now I'm sitting here going, like, motherfucker, there's a connection. <laughs> hey, that'll be the next episode. We'll have answers. <laughs> <laughs> we need more people in the music business, goddammit. I need to ask these questions to see if my conspiracy theories are correct. And can we just take down Clear Channel? Yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> It's all right. We nobody, can do it. Sorry, nobody listens to radio anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. But no, I just, I just, I just found that documentary so fascinating on a few different levels. It, like, it had the intrigue of the fire festival documentary, yeah. but like uh, the 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 added benefit of it actually happened. <laughs> There's a uh, metal evolution episode where they uh, go over uh, the late '90s, early 2000s era of like new metal, and they interview Fred Durst and they talk to him about Woodstock '99 and everything too. And he's just kind of like one of those deals where it's like he's one of those guys where it's just like he doesn't take responsibility or he just kind of says, "Well, if they're gonna blame anybody, might as well blame me." I guess and he's like one, he's like really melancholy about it. He says it sucked, and you know, I just just going out there and doing my job and yada yada yada. Yeah, okay, so so we can wrap it back to that for a second, because I don't know. Th- this is always where I kind of get 50-50 on my whole mind frame of the job of an artist. Yeah. Okay, so if part of doing your job includes destruction of the property around you as a musician, to me, that doesn't feel like that needs to be part of your job description. Yeah, that's just a band that was kind of uh, where that kind of attitude and that kind of, you know, behavior was kind of part of the brand at the time, too. Yeah, and I get that. It just, and like, maybe have it directed to the idea of, you know, authority or whatever. But like, and then it gets the weird twisted thing of like, fuck authority, fuck the festival. And I'm like, wait a minute, you realize this authority put this on for you, right? 
Yeah. And you're saying, fuck this authority? But that, <laughs> but that wasn't the mindset of the youth at the time. Oh, of course not. Of course not. But like, and that's why, <laughs> as much as that promoter may have like really dropped the ball on a few things, every time he had a clap back to those press conference people, I, yes. fu- I was dying. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not defending them because yes, there was so much of that shit that could have prevented and been fixed. But oh my God, his fucking clap backs were fucking great. Like that one kid that was like, it's a fucking mess out there. It's so bad. I can round up like a crew of 10 of my friends and we all just go do it. And he's like, you, you're willing to do that? I will pay you right now. I will pay you a hundred dollars. Fuck it. Fuck it. I will pay you a thousand dollars an hour get up here right now you tell everyone you're fucking fuck you i've had over a hundred people cleaning up after you people constantly and you still can't get done fuck you and shut up and clean up after yourself i'm just like yes get him yeah god that was the robert lang guy too right yes. was the other one yeah so there's two of them i can't remember the other guy's name oh my god no I, as soon as that part happened i was just like yes Fuck you. <laughs> no, if you want some good Woodstock quality, go check out the Johnny Winter set from Woodstock or the Sly and the Family Stone set. Yeah. No, I don't know. Just just thinking back on the whole Limp Biscuit thing, you know, we've we saw what he saw. You know, it's like there, there's camera angles from the stage, you yeah. know, and he was outright pointing at, you know, people doing the um the crowd surfing with on, on the, the planks fucking, and shit. Yeah. And those were the things that like people were like whispering in his ear saying, you know, hey, that's like, you know, shit that's like protect- that's our shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's you know, how about don't tell your fans to like break our shit, you know, that we're like letting you play here and that we're paying you to do. Hey, thanks, buddy. Sorry, this- bro. My song's called Break Stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know that that that's that feels just so short-sighted. He, I mean, he probably... Because like, I see musicians even on like smaller levels act like that. And I'm just like, that's not... No. That's Say so it worked for that generation. It doesn't work like for well, that... it didn't even work for that generation. It doesn't work for any generation. Everybody <laughs> wants to get in this fucking rock star, you know, uh, you know, anything goes mentality. The only person that ever worked for it was Keith Richards. And even then, he had to quit doing heroin because Canada told him not to. <laughs> and the thing is, is like, club promoters didn't look at Motley Crue and go, Man, look at those rock stars no. <laughs> fucking up our venue. They're, they're so cool. They're so cool. They're going to make the big time. I really feel it. I didn't think that shit. It's not like people were looking at all these bands going, wow, their audience incited a riot. I want them back at my venue. It's like, that's not what happens. Like, it's no. And, and, and anything, it tarnishes your image forever. And you have document. Have multiple- where are you going to play? You have, yeah. <laughs> fucking Lollapalooza in uh, 2021 with a stupid ass fucking wig and sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, secondary thing, if that winds up being your fan base you attract, you wind up attracting a lot of not fun fans. Yeah. <laughs> so are you happy with yourself, Fred? <laughs> so. Let that speak how it is, Tool fans, Limp Bizkit fans. <laughs> yeah, you ain't lying. That's all that was missing from that festival was Tool. Seriously, that's on that and fucking um, System of the Down. Or like a, or Stone Cold Steve Austin fucking uh, <laughs> MC in the damn thing. <laughs> oh my God. No, it would have been staying around that point. Actually, it could have been both of them, but Stone Cold Steve Austin was definitely like the pop culture mirror of that yeah, audience right, for you're sure. Right, you're right. Fighting yeah. the boss, <laughs> all that shit. And it's like, and that's why I am so glad I was born when I was. Like, yeah. like specifically then. Like, if I could be actually dead at serious, if I could be chosen to be born at any time, I'd actually like to be mom's age because she grew up 
during the late 60s, early 70s. Fucking great time to be a kid. Late 60s, early 70s. Come mm-hmm. on. The toys rock. The TV rock. The drugs rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, kid. Kid. Like, up to, right. like, 13 or so. And then, like, right as you're starting to hit your teenage years, it's like when punk rock and kiss comes out. By the time you're in your 20s is when fucking new wave comes out and fucking good drugs. You know? And then by the 90s is when it's time to settle down in the good economy and had a kid like mom did. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, I would love to be born around that time period but if i was born any later i would have hated having the mid-2000s being the music i grew up with and if i was born any earlier i would have hated being part of that woodstock generation or that woodstock 99 generation yeah and that's kind of what i was lumped in with uh, was corn uh, trying to think like the most like uh, talked about bands when I was in seventh grade in particular. It was definitely Corn. It was definitely Kid Rock. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then Dixie Chicks from the girls. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like I was catching the tail end of that right as Eminem and rap was taking over. Yeah. That, that's when that that's when I started kind of becoming more involved in the zeitgeist of knowing what music is, is when that sort of like rap started taking over. That and like Slipknot. People are starting to come around on how trashy the late 90s, early 2000s really were. Yeah, and bringing it back intentionally. <laughs> well, that's why that's why PC culture happened because all the, everybody grew up from the late '90s, early 2000s. They're like, "What? You can't say that anymore." It's like, "No, idiot! Put your Lip Biscuit CDs away." And <laughs> did you see that episode of South Park? Uh, well, I've seen a bunch of PC culture themed episodes of South Park. No, where they basically redid the movie. No, I haven't. Oh, my God. We're going to have to watch it after this episode's done, which will be done in a minute. Uh, uh, but they seriously did an episode where the kids got so outraged about something, and they did Millennials Against Canada oh, instead of Moms Against Canada. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> And they basically redid the uh, movie beat for beat, but with just a different subject. So it's just basically what I just got through talking about. <laughs> yes. And that's why I was laughing so hard. That's why I was like, did you watch the South Park episode? Because they hit that right on the head. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to watch that. <laughs> Millennials against Canada. But yeah, because like I'll bring up Stone Cold Steve Austin again about how he was like the cultural reflection of, uh, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. And that's why he was the top guy, because it was him against the boss, Vince McMahon and he, you know he was the heel or whatever but even though Stone Cold Steve Austin wasn't necessarily like your traditional like hero or anything like that he was yeah. he was the anti-hero he was a Kenny Powers if you will mm-hmm. I still remember Macho Man still kind of being around a little bit around that time because he was the Slim Jim guy yeah it was Slim Jim and he was uh, he was uh, NWO Macho Man uh-huh. even Hulk Hogan was the uh, had turned heel at that point too mm-hmm. so everybody was becoming a bad guy everybody liked the bad guys in that time period it was cool to be you know the anti-hero and all that shit that's why howard stern was as big as he was and all that shit huh. 90s was also the decade of the oh yeah the oh yeah uh-huh see not the was i <laughs> well the reason i say that is like oh. so kool-aid was having a big resurgence oh, yeah. in the 90s then you had macho man yeah. and all <laughs> and the same had, commercials and then you had the kiss reunion tour oh yeah <laughs> Happy birthday, Gene. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this has been a pretty stacked episode. So I guess let's we'll go ahead and wrap this up. One other music thing to discuss. Yeah. We'd be remiss. <laughs> We'd be quite remiss if we did not bring up the Nirvana baby. <laughs> How fucking lame is that, dude? Holy shit. 
okay, yeah. So I remember even off and on over the last few years, that kid like being pretty proud of it. Yeah, and he was uh, he was successful at the time of these like in these interviews we would see on TV or these you know uh, never mind retrospectives and things like that, right? Oh yeah, it's like he he was always pretty re- happy about it and would basically have no problems ever telling someone be like yeah that's my dick on an album cover yeah <laughs> he was just kind of like hey i was uh i was a ba- i was uh you know i was part of like the cultural you know like you were saying the cultural zeitgeist of like a really big fucking movement in music history and yada 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 and that's pretty cool and like you see interviews with him he's wearing a suit he's got a nice little office job and things like that oh yeah he's doing five four motherfucker has never mind tattooed across his chest in yeah. the script okay he clearly was a fan of the fact that he was the baby on that album cover for the longest time. He has redone the photo like three times. Yeah. And I don't know if it's true or not, allegedly, because I can only say that because you just see it as comments. You don't see like actual quote quotes from things. But the the thing going around is he kept reaching back out to the same photographer over and over, being like, let's redo the photo. Let's redo the photo. And, like, on the second time, he was just being like, you know, yeah, no, I don't think so. And eventually pressured him in and then was like, well, let's do it naked. And then refused. And he was like, okay, well, I'll just wear boxers. So, like, apparently, like, even he's been, like, hounding the photographer to, like, constantly redo the photo over and over and over. Because he's done, I've seen him do it a few times where, like, you know, as an adult and everything, too, just kind of reenacting it. Yeah. And now he's suing the fucking, uh, basically the trust fund of Nirvana, the, uh, the surviving members and Courtney Love uh, for cash saying that it's child porn. <laughs> for, for how much? Uh, at least a hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. Sorry, a uh, hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, uh, from each of the defendants. Good luck, Courtney Love will kill your ass. <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, and okay, yeah. Actually, it says uh, from Dave Grohl, uh, Chris, Courtney Love, um, the executor of Cobain's estate, Guy O. Mm, something or whoever, another. Whoever's in charge of his estate, I guess. Yeah. Um, Heather Perry, managers of Cobain Estate, the photographer, the art director, and a number of existing or defunct record companies that released or distributed the album in the last three decades. So he's already just dead in the water. He's trying to get a couple million off this shit. Yeah. He's already like, yeah, yeah. I think he's reaching out to like Geffen or some shit. That ain't oh even a thing God. anymore, dude. <laughs> yeah. It just, I don't. I don't understand. Well, I understand. He wants a paycheck. Yeah. That, that's what it comes down to. That's what it gets. I don't understand why he feels the need to go attack, attack this uh, issue now. saying that it's going to be a, yeah. Well, when well, he's doing it because it's like, oh, people are getting results this way. Maybe I can too. Yeah. Yeah. And see, and the thing is too, is people also keep, uh, he, a few reports keep saying that they never got paid for it. He was paid, the family was paid $200 for the 15 second shoot. Yeah, that's kind of how this works. Yeah, they, it was a one shoot, it was like a one take thing. Like they, the, pay, they paid them 200, they paid the family $200 for you to be like, hey, can your kid swim? Yeah, he loves being in the pool. Sweet. Do you mind like toss him in the pool real quick near, near our photographer, let him snap a couple photos as he swims for a second and then like, Get his ass out, and we'll pay you 200 bucks. Yeah. Did That's they, what happened. Did they sign on for royalties or anything like that? Probably not. Thank you. That's the thing, is 
if they felt that the record was going to be huge, they should have put something in the contract that they were going to get perpetuity. Mm-hmm. They didn't, so they got their fee, and that's all they are owed. Yep. Now, if they wanted to be cool, they could have hit them up and gave them a little Christmas bonus and been like, yo, our record did great, and I think part of it is due to the cover and so you know hey thanks kid here's you know a few here's a handful of years later now that you're a teenager here's a little christmas bonus yeah, you know shit like that here's, here's some college money you know yeah exactly hey kid you're 16 i bet you'd like a car and here's a couple grand you know thanks for the great artwork you know you made us you know successes who knows they may have even done that the kid doesn't look like he's doing too bad no I don't know. It just makes me think of the uh, there's a part in the Wu-Tang Clan documentary series where they talk to the guy that uh, the artist that made the W that you see on all the Wu-Tang merch Mm -hmm. that's on all the album covers. It's it's uh, about it's bigger than the band itself at this point. Yeah. And he only got his, uh, you know, his basic $200 fee and never signed on for any royalties or anything like that. So RZA owns that image now. And that's what it made me think of. Yeah, and right here it says, however, in uh, most of the interviews accompanying these photo shoots, he expressed mixed feelings about uh, being famous for the Nevermind cover and whether he was exploited by it. But until now, despite his ongoing ambivalence about the photo's legacy, had not yet described it as pornographic. Yeah, so now, and that's the thing that irks me about it, is he's trying to say that the image of him isn't pornographic. But the fact that he's swimming toward a photoshopped dollar bill makes it he is a sex worker. That's a reach, bro. That's a fucking reach. Yeah. And also, I'm not a pedophile, so I can't speak for them. But I don't think anyone's really going to look at this photo and get aroused. I so mean, I don't really think that's a pornographic image. I mean, have we, we haven't heard. The album's been around for like 30 years at this point, and it's sold millions of copies. We haven't heard anything, you know, fucked up about yeah. anybody buying a copy okay. or anything like that and doing yes. anything with it. Yes, thank you. For all the times we hear about music being the problem, album covers being the reason kids are shooting up their parents and shit, if this was really causing like a pedophilia epidemic, don't we think we would have heard something about it by now? I mean, this is an era when, well, this is after a fucking uh, Wasp was putting out album covers with fucking buzzsaws on cod pieces and shit like that. That's PMRC shit. Yeah, so it's like, and I'm not sitting here like defending, you know, yeah, take naked photos of babies all the time, but it's like, clearly it was consensual with the parents. It was taking, it was taken in a non-sexual way. It's like, it wasn't done like, oh, look at this cute baby. It was a child it was supposed to be like a metaphor for like being in the womb yeah you know like you just it's like you're still in a body of water you know but it's still but like with the little image it's supposed to be like thought provoking it's not pornographic and the thing is this the law even says unless a photo like that is explicitly pornographic or meant to be such it's not but like I'm sorry, have we not had, like, siblings and, like, or, like, you know, gone to, like, family members' houses and went, oh, this is your aunt when she was, like, you know, uh, six months old and she's, like, fucking sitting in the goddamn uh, bathtub or something. Yeah, just baby photos and shit like that. Yes, it's like, what the fuck, dude? (laughs) It's like, congratulations, now you got two chuckleheads making fun of you on a podcast. You ain't, he ain't getting it. 
anything. There ain't going to be no settlements. That's just There's dead not. in the water. And the thing is, is he might have actually had a fighting chance if he genuinely did feel exploited early on. If he grew up feeling, hey, it's kind of weird that, you know, my entire naked child body is on this album cover. If he grew up thinking like that and constantly said that, then yeah, maybe the dude would have a case because he's about our age, you yeah. know? So it's like, this is about the age now where you would actually kind of like stand up and maybe do something about it. But the kid from like early on was always like, fuck yeah, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm just like, that That makes it hard. If he had always been a little weary about it and then is now doing this, I think people would give him a lot more credit. And maybe would kind of still, you know, raise our eyebrow with the fact he's calling it child pornography, but like would maybe be a little bit more sympathetic over him feeling a certain way because it would be a little more genuine. I just want to know if the guy thought of that before putting all this uh, lawsuit out too, being on record talking about how cool he thought it all was and all that. Well, I mean, we I posted about it today in our Discord, and it's like in the reigning, you know, response from everyone is it just seems like a lawyer got to him. Like, it, it seems like a lawyer almost, like, hit him up out of the blue and was just like, hey, you have experienced trauma, but you don't know it. You should pay me to uh -huh. <laughs> help I, you get paid. I feel like that might have been what happened. Yeah, who knows? I'm, we're gonna follow, I'm going to follow this story oh, see I what happens. Too, because it's, like, it's, it's endlessly fascinating. Because I remember being a kid... Um, mom bought me Nevermind. She wanted me to try to at least like some modern music. Yeah. So it's like she got me Nevermind, and I even asked her. I was like, "Why is there a naked baby on the album <laughs> cover?" So it's like, even for like a teen or like a young teen for me, I was just like, "Why is there a naked kid on the album cover?" And she's like, "Oh, you know, they're just trying to be you know provocative and weird. You know, don't think anything of it." I was like, oh, "Okay." That's what we're taught at a young age, looking at album covers. They're just being provocative and weird. Yeah, and then you know, but the. But the thing was, it's like, I looked at that and I went, oh, okay, I get it. I guess that makes sense. Because immediately I started connecting. I'm like, oh, well, you know, Kiss looks weird. They pose with naked girls. I've seen other bands pose with naked girls. And then also thinking back on it, I was like, oh, yeah. And Mom's Mother Love Bone CD has the guys all laying on the back album cover and there's a kid right in the middle of them and it found out it was like one of their like babies. Like yeah. it was like one of their kids. Mother love bone. What yeah, a pull. that was a pull. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's like I started connecting all the dots and it's like, yeah, within the era, that was also the era of like cherubs. Like, remember when the cherubs were fucking huge? Those oh, little angels. Yeah. Victorian cherub angels. They were huge. Naked baby boys. Mm-hmm. It was part of the style of the 90s. Yeah, nobody cared. No, no one was looking at it sexually. Fuck. <laughs> I can't wait to watch that South Park episode still. Yeah, because uh, what immediately made me think about it was uh, Mom also had that, um, uh, that one. I forgot the name of the band. The Smashing Pumpkins record that had uh, the popular song on it. I mean, there's melancholy and the infinite that sadness. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It had little cherub characters all over it, too. Well, shit, there's a blind... There's a blind, not blind melon, what is it, Blind Faith album cover, where it's a, just clearly a naked 16-year-old girl, and they admitted to it, and it's just kind of like, well, that's kind of weird, guys, but I know it's the 60s and whatnot, but just still. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, maybe there are certain lines, but it's like, again, I feel that a lot of this needs to be considered, a lot of this needs to be considered with intent. Yeah intent really needs to be part of the consideration if the intent was to sexualize them 
then yeah, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. If the intent was to be provocative or have an art piece, that's different. Then there's no pro- then that shouldn't be a problem. And again, it's just that's not even me sitting here going, you know what, guys? If if you really want to put a naked baby on your album cover, why the <laughs> fuck not? You know, and you know, sixteen year old girls, yeah, fuck it. As long as it's not sexually, I'm that's not what I'm saying. As long as it's tasteful. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's tasteful, guys, take your photos of your sixteen year old girls, put them on your album covers. I don't really <laughs> care. You just go right ahead. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> don't get me twisted. <laughs> Motherfuckers. Don't, don't isolate any of this <laughs> don't twist me up now <laughs> you know what i'm trying to say <laughs> it's just a weird fucking time we're living in <laughs> it really is it's like the 90s like the 90s are like uh catching up or the late 90s early 2000s are all just getting caught up on now yeah yeah and meanwhile howard stern's the biggest uh media uh per- personality in the fucking world right now and like so squeaky clean yeah <laughs> He's fucking, um, oh God, he's Dan Rather now. Oh God, what I would do to go back to Woodstock 99 and like stand at the gate and just be like, whoa, 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 before you go in, I just want to tell you something real quick. About 75 to 80, hell, 90% of these bands aren't going to be a thing anymore in about 15, 20 years. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, MTV, yeah, that little you know group of people that you're kind of rebelling against because you know they're not playing the kind of music you like. Well, guess what? They don't play music at all now. And uh, yeah, that really cool radio guy that you know is kind of like counterculture and shit. Yeah, he's on the View. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 2020 or 2021. <laughs> Fuck. God. That, and that that uh that MC that uh that little that little tiny little MC that introduced Limp Biscuit. He ain't gonna be around anymore. R.I.P. Mini Me. No. <laughs> how crazy. That's how famous Limp Biscuit was. Their MC was Mini Me. <laughs> I will say though, before we run into our uh, you got uh, what are you listening to bit is um I will say. The one thing I can give the 90s bands is not their music, not their fashion, not anything, except the stage show. They knew how to put on a show. Like, for instance, Offspring, horrible. But holy fuck, they had, like, different people coming out during different songs, like, acting. It was almost like an Alice Cooper set. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, like, during Pretty, Pretty Fly for a White Guy, they had, like, this, like, gangstered out white dude, like, with this, like with the total archetype that they, like, sung about. Like, going up there doing, like, the fucking fake gang signs, you know, the pants sagging, you know, stupid faces and all that. And, um, and then they'd have people up there, you know, like, uh, they had the song, I think, called Walla Walla or something. They had, like, this guy with like a uh, traditional like uh, black and white stripes on with like handcuffs like singing a, a background for a different part that's so, cool yeah and then they had the um the beaten up in sync with the baseball bats and then you know their song intermission which one how did that one go the ah intermission ding it was it, it sounded like rate uh, sound like an elevator music yeah. it, it was on the first record okay they, they just played that over the PA speaker pull out blowout chairs and just sit there with cigars for a minute <laughs> while the intermission music plays and and like people are walking out holding like signs saying like intermission with like sparklers and shit like that and they're just chilling just sitting there That's and fun. as soon as the track's over they jump right back off off the seats and right into the next song that sounds like a fun set yeah and but it's like a lot of the other bands I'll see in on the Woodstock set were doing 
doing the same thing. So it's like, that's the one thing I can definitely give 90s bands is they knew how to put on a show. Yeah, that was that era of like post uh, reunion Kiss and all that. So every other touring band was like, fuck, now we got to compete with Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Let's show them how the big boys do it. Yeah. <laughs> But on that note, we might as well dig on into that Spotify playlist and we figure out what the hell we've been listening to. What you listening to, son? I don't think you like it. Well, why not? I like this new generation of music. Where did you record this? I bought it at the mall. What that person on your tape has is a medical disorder. All right, Captain, what the hell have you been listening to? Uh, Paul mentioned Tongues of Fire on his episode, so I checked out the two uh, singles they uh, put out uh, not too long ago that were recorded and produced by one Dan Dixon. Oh, shit. And they sound pretty fucking killer, especially the track Numb. That's my favorite of the two that they just released. Their uh, first single is called Room, and that's pretty cool. That's a... Little, uh, how long is that one? It's like a two minute, 41 uh, second long jam there, but the other one's like four and a half minutes, and there's like uh, little moody parts in it, but it's still cool. It's like everything builds up and flows together really nicely. And with, you know, with Dan, you know, kind of calling the shots or helping them out, it's, it mm-hmm. kind of comes together really nicely. So definitely check out the check out Numb and check out Room by uh, Tongues of Fire. I haven't checked out their uh, other EP yet, but I bet it's pretty good too. Hell yeah. No, I saw you post about that in the, uh, I think you posted in the Discord today, didn't you? Sure did. Follow our Discord, guys. Yeah. see it in the uh, description link on the episode. That's right. Good job, Cap. And uh, for me, I've got a little bit of a threefer, but I'll just kind of roll it into one. I've been revisiting the CJ Ramon catalog, his three solo records. Nice. Um, or, or the last three, rather. Last Chance to Dance, American Beauty, and Holy Spell. I haven't visited those in a minute. And dude, they hold up. They really do. And it's like, and it's cool because each record really has its own vibe. Like Last Chance to Dance uh, was his, I think that was his second attempt. Yeah, that was his second record um, after uh, Reconquista. Reconquista. Yeah, Reconquista. I always read that as Reconquista. Okay, yes. You, you are much better at your Spanish than I am. I <laughs> my Tennessee Spanish. Yes, <laughs> yes. Your Tennessee Spanish is much better than my North Carolina, South Carolina Spanish. So <laughs> I will take it. Um, but like that record very much felt like, hey, I'm CJ Ramon. I'm making a record, goddammit. Here you go, kind of thing. Last Chance to Dance really almost sounded like okay, you know what? That was fun making this record. I want to do it one more time, but I'll see you guys. Like yeah. This honestly kind of felt like a bookend. Like, I made a record. All right, I'm going to make one more tour it. Now you guys, yeah, I'll see you guys later. I did the thing I said I was going to do kind of thing. And because we also know that it took forever for that first record to get out, that yeah. it felt like, okay, yeah, of course he probably has one more in the shoot just from trying to get this one recorded for so long. So it almost did kind of feel like a send-off record. Yeah. And then American Beauty comes comes out and it almost felt like the ha psych bitches i'm back bigger than ever <laughs> and all those records got better and better as they came out too they did because w- the reason i was saying um uh, last chance to dance kind of felt like a farewell record is a lot of it was a little bit slower yeah like everything kind of had like a getting back to that you know do whoppy thing that the ramones kind of you know dip their toe in that was kind of his uh purpose of the records was to you know keep the ramones name alive and make the music hold up with the classic stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, even with like the first song, you know, Understand Me. Really don't care. Understand me. You know, so it's like very doo-woppy. Like uh-huh. everything kind of had just that kind of smooth kind of, you know, going with it. But then American Beauty comes out. 
first song on there is Let's Go. And mm. it's just, it's a straight Ramones song. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go on the road again. That has my favorite uh, uh, production. Those are my favorite tones on the CJ Ramones stuff is American Beauty. Mm-hmm. And then right into Yeah, 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 another what sounds like a Ramones song. And it's just like every song on here. To me, this is a dri- that's a driving record. American is. Beauty is a driving record. There's not a bad one on there, really. No, the only one I skip only because it's so sad is Tommy's Gone. Yeah. I, I, I can't I can't do any of this Ramones tribute songs. They fuck me up. Three <gasps> Angels is such a good fucking song, but it's oh my so fucking, fucking sad. God. <laughs> Dude, I cried like a bitch the first time I heard that song. I was like, no. Because I was still like hardcore, like loving on Johnny and everything. So it's like that hit right around that time. And I was like, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one with the Tom Waits cover too, right? Is it Pony yes. on American Beauty? Yes. Nice. And then, uh, and then the Holy Spell, which sounds like might be his last record, um, also does sound like a last record uh, to a point, but it kind of mixes everything. See, that's what you do. That's what we, that's what we everybody should do. Treat your uh, next record like it's your last record. <laughs> Go out with a bang every time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, the reason I just say that is uh, it sounds like he retired from touring C.J. Ramone. Yeah. It seems like he's only playing in the Gimme Gimmies now. And I'm sure that's a nice little touring paycheck and all that too. Yeah. So yeah, the last record, The Holy Spell, I mean, kicks off one high, one low. Great song. This Town, another great song. And, does, and it just keeps going going and actually one of my favorite most recent favorite cj songs is on this one i think he's got other like catchier ones but like more meaningful ones i would have to say that um postcard from heaven is probably one of the best written cj songs he has i have to revisit that one that's the album i haven't revisited as much as the rest of them Mm -hmm. but just for some reason um wait actually waiting on the sun and postcards from heaven are two it feels like he didn't even put a lot of faith in them but like to me they feel just like very perfect cj songs i don't know i just really like those i'll have to check that out and steve soto plays on all of them except for the last one and he even has a steve soto uh tribute song on the last one too yep and um and actually i wonder if that was part of his reason for hanging up the band could be because he was kind of his partner in that whole thing musically wasn't mm-hmm, he from the start he was there from the first record well, definitely go check out uh, those C.J. Ramones records. Definitely check out uh, Tongues of Fire. And uh, if you're in a Stones kick this week like I am, uh, I'd recommend Beggar's Banquet all the way through Some Girls. There you go. And guys, if you are listening to this all the way through, we hope we see you tonight at the Milestone Club with Silver Tongue Devils and all the other good bands hanging out with us tonight. Sign up for the Discord. It's free. It's like AOL chat room days of old and an organized group message. You'll have fun. And if you like what we do here, why don't you support us for just a dollar a month on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash something good network. All that information is in the, the description below. But Cap, do you have an outro for us? Man, you want to go to Winston-Salem and start a satanic cult and fucking uh, name ourselves Pazuzu or Jacuzzi or whatever. Fucking A.
Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.